Hey, everybody. Welcome to the EquipCast. My name is Jim Jansen, and I'm your host. And we got a great conversation today. Uh, TJ Simpson and I sit down, and we talk about bringing Catholics back home. Loved ones, friends, uh, neighbors, siblings, right? Just children. Bringing loved ones back to the Catholic faith. It's a great discussion. TJ shares some great just background on like why people leave and where they go when they do. We talk about just some simple questions to get the conversation started again. Um, we talk about how to find acceptance uh, as you grieve the loss so you're in a good place to begin those conversations. Uh, you're going to love this uh, episode today, so take a listen. Welcome to the EquipCast for the Archdiocese of Omaha. Designed to help leaders to transform their cultures, to embody the pastoral vision, to be one church, encountering Jesus, equipping disciples, and living mercy. TJ Simpson, welcome to the EquipCast. How are you? Thanks, Jim. Thanks for letting me be here. I'm I'm doing great today. It's wonderful weather outside, and it, uh, it I, is I feel beautiful. good too. It's a wonderful January day. No, I'm kidding. We're... <laughs> Yeah, it is a beautiful, beautiful spring spring day. I was actually thrown off by how nice it was because it's been really nice just for non-Nebraska listeners. It's been deceptively nice looking, but then when you walk outside, it's like 40 mile an hour winds lately, but it's mm -hmm. actually beautiful. No, lovely spring breeze. Uh, it's a great day uh, here in Nebraska. And we're going to have a great conversation today. I'm really looking forward to this. I feel like this conversation is pretty much for everybody. I mean, I don't know anyone mm -hmm. who doesn't have a friend, a family member, a coworker, someone they know, you know, it's like the, whatever, like this six degrees of Kevin Bacon or something. I mean, like, <laughs> it, like everybody knows somebody who has fallen away from the practice of their Catholic faith. And we're going to talk a little bit about like, how do you bring them back today? But before we do, like introduce yourself a little bit, like tell people what's your story, TJ? When, when did you first encounter the Lord? Yeah. So once again, my name is TJ Simpson. I grew up here in Omaha, Nebraska. I have good Catholic parents. I grew up going to Catholic school, kind of late grade school, early high school. I really kind of went on a rebellious streak. I was not listening to my parents. I wasn't doing homework. I had some friends who were getting me into well, some- well, You weren't doing homework? Oh yeah. I wasn't doing homework. Oh my gosh. That is shocking. <laughs> Yeah, kids tend to not do that sometimes. So, uh, yeah, and I was just making just really poor decisions, especially early high school. The kids I was hanging mm -hmm. out with, the things we would do for activities. And I kept making just life decisions that just were progressively worse. I remember just feeling so empty. And at a certain point, I made a really terrible decision. Mm -hmm. And I had to tell my parents about it because it was, it was that bad. Mm -hmm. It affected everything going on with my life. I remember my parents not punishing me, but just weeping with me. Wow telling me that they were going to be praying for me. It kind of made me kind of angry. I wanted to be punished because <laughs> that, that would have given me something to focus on to rebel against. But one thing that I'd also rebelled against, my mom had always, when I was been growing up, we would listen to K-Love in the car. Mm -hmm. And at this point, I was really like ready to be done with my life. I was contemplating mm. suicide. And I wow. was driving to school that morning for some finals I had not prepared for at all. And I decided for whatever reason to turn on the radio, I was flipping through the channels and it stopped on K-Love and I heard a message about forgiveness uh, from, from two songs in a row that played that were pretty adamant on it. Uh, there yeah. was a 10th Avenue North song and I forget the other artists, but it was both, both the messages were God, God loves you no matter what you've done. Wow. And I just remember being so struck by that. And that started uh, a lifelong pursuit of like, who is this God who forgives? 
And that really culminated in college and beyond. I ended up looking at colleges uh, mostly by the end of my school years, I had gotten a little bit better acad- academics as well, mm-hmm. but I'd also turned to cross country and track and field as a positive yeah. activity. And I'd gotten pretty good at it and was looking at colleges just based on scholarships for cross country. My parents really wanted me to check out the school down in Atchison, Kansas. And <laughs> I was like, well, I guess they're giving me a good scholarship. So I might as well check it out. Yeah. And I took one step out of my parents' van and like felt a presence there and a joy there. And by the time I was done, I was like, I didn't know a Catholic college like this could exist. I didn't know a Catholic school like this could exist. And so while I was there, I really dove into the community of faith. I had awesome teammates on my cross country team. There's an incredible yeah. community there. I got connected with both Focus and St. Paul's Outreach, which were both instrumental towards me. Yeah, I was constantly just being challenged and growing. And uh, around my junior year, I decided to start kind of discerning a vocation to a, a celibate vocation in particular. And after college, I, I kind of I kind of fell away a little bit, to be honest. Mm. I, I stopped going to mass. I kind of lost that sense of community. But I knew that I desired it, and I knew that God wanted me back, and I knew I needed God. And so that culminated with me discerning a religious vocation. I ended up going to visit a couple communities, but ultimately ended up joining St. Benedict's Abbey in Atchison, Kansas, mm-hmm. the founders of Benedictine College. And I just dove so much into my faith, into knowing who Jesus is. And was very angry with him when he told me I needed to leave and yeah. and work on sharing my faith and evangelizing because I loved the Abbey. I was very comfortable there, but yeah, God how pushed long, me out of that. How long were you there, TJ? I was there for three years. Three I took, years. took simple vows. And okay. That's kind of a three-year, you take vows for three years before you take solemn vows. Right. Yeah. Part of the discernment process, the extended entry into the, into the community. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's funny as you you share your story, a lot of it rhymes with my own. I did actually didn't do homework for a period. Of, yeah. <laughs> no, more than, I mean, true. But more than, you know, when I ended up at Benedictine College, like I did not want to be there. And from the moment I got there, it was clear that that's where the Lord wanted me. Mm. So, gosh, I, I appreciate that. As you talked about the Kalo story, just to be clear, you weren't a regular K-Love listener at no, that time in your life. Yeah, it's not just at ra- all. You're not a K- like the way you're describing yourself. It didn't sound like Christian radio was your was your thing. No, I actively hated it. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. I would... But the Lord managed to use an un unsearched for radio station to change your heart. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So what are you doing now? You're yes. in Omaha. We're glad you're here. Yeah. <laughs> I... Catch us up. So now I, I took a job last October as the director of evangelization for Midtown Catholic. That's St. Joan of Arc and St. Thomas More in yes. Midtown. And yeah, so kind of my, my day-to-day evangelization is the big word that covers a lot of stuff. One thing I do is I help a little bit with sacrament prep. I help with our baptisms and our baptism class and preparation. Cool. One of the biggest things I do is discipleship. I'm getting the leaders of our parish to realize like we need to get other people to do what you're doing. We, mm. You need to share your experience of the faith a little bit more. And look a little bit beyond the idea of just a program or an activity that's going on, but like that we're a community of faith wow. and that we need to share it both inside the parish and outside. There's people in the pews that need to be evangelized as well. So you're trying to help the leaders at Midtown Catholic, Joan of Arc and Thomas More. You're trying to help them become not just program coordinators, but actually disciples that make other disciples. Yes, exactly. <laughs> that's great. That's a great transition because we want to talk a little bit about this phenomenon, not not unfamiliar to our own lives and our own story, where so many Catholics are falling away from the practice mm-hmm. of the faith. You know, I mean, I think it's it's a relatively old statistic now, but 
Catholics are like fallen away Catholics are like the largest denomination. (laughs) Yeah. It's not really a denomination, but like, you know, if you were to add up the percentage in the total numbers, fallen away Catholics are like the largest single grouping of religious identity in the, in the United States. Talk a little bit about the phenomenon, just like if you can kind of bring people up to speed again, it's very experiential as all of us probably know someone, but Mm. just give us a little bit of the, just the, the quick outline of this phenomenon. Yeah. So in general, uh, the some of the bigger surveys uh, about a decade ago or so came out, and it looks like the church has about a fifty nine percent retention rate. So if you were Catholic at one point, wow, you're, you you have a fifty nine percent chance of remaining Catholic. So those those bigger surveys, I was like the Kara survey and the mm-hmm. Pew Research, and they're they're really just looking at people who identify as Catholic, though. And mm-hmm. I, I think that there's some other statistics that are out there that show that it's much worse. Uh, Notre Dame did a study a few more years ago that mm-hmm. looked at practiced and engaged Catholics. And they noticed in the younger generations that only about 7% of people raised Catholic mm-hmm. participate and are active in their Catholic faith. Yeah, it's and, a huge. And I, I think we all notice it. I think most of us notice it. My own mm-hmm. personal experience, I grew up Catholic. I went to a booming Catholic grade school here in Omaha and in their like 90s, early 2000s. And of my class of 90, I maybe know two or three people who still practice the faith. Oh, yeah. No, I same for me. You know, I mean, I look at my my classmates from from grade school, high school, very, very, very few seem to be practicing their faith. Mm-hmm. If, if they are, they're, they're preparing for the underground church because they're doing it in such a hidden way. <laughs> no, no one would know. Yeah. TJ, there's been some good research on this. It digs a little deeper beyond mm-hmm. just like, oh my gosh, they're leaving and they're leaving in huge numbers and you know, more and more are leaving faster and faster, younger and younger. But the, really it's the why. Like why do Catholics leave the church and where do they go when they do? Yes, I think that second question helps us answer that first one of where they're going. Yeah, you're right. So I, I alluded to this earlier with the the differences in those those different surveys, but about forty mm-hmm. percent only kind of leave. It's actually a little bit more than forty percent. Okay, they say more about that. They culturally remain Catholic. Right. They would still identify Catholic as a survey, but they never darken the doors of the church. Yeah, maybe they go in for Easter or Christmas or with their their family when they're invited, but in general, they they don't go. They don't practice the faith. And if we right. just heard. At one of the conferences, you and I were both at a priest mm-hmm. talking about he has siblings who will fast on on Fridays. They won't they won't eat meat, but they won't go to church on Sunday. Right. There's there's a lot of those out there. Uh, so where where else are they going? There's some smaller groups that go to the well. I guess the next biggest group is the spiritual but not religious crowd. That's yeah. a growing phenomenon. I think most people are, are are aware of this. The idea that someone says they're spiritual but they they, they believe in God but they don't really practice or see a need for mm-hmm. church. Outside of that, there's Smaller smatterings that go to evangelical and mainline Protestant. Mm-hmm. Those are the next two biggest. And there's there's some smaller groups after that. One thing that's of really significant note, I think, is that only about 12% identify as atheist of people that leave yeah. the church. Which yeah. is crazy. Like of everyone that leaves the church, 88% are still theist. They they think that there's idea of God and sh- that one should have a relationship with them. I, lo- I love that you pointed pointed that out because I think... Oftentimes, you know, we're without confusing the categories so much. I, I think a lot of our listeners have probably heard about, you know, the rise of the nuns. And I don't mm-hmm. just mean, I don't mean little women with with habits. I yeah. mean, like N-O-N-E-S, like people that self-identify as having no religious affiliation. But that's not the same thing as being an atheist. No. Someone who says, 
I don't have a church or I don't have a religious affiliation. I'm spiritual, but not religious. Doesn't mean I hate God. In fact, there's a shocking number of people who would say I'm spiritual, not religious, or I I am unaffiliated. I don't have a spiritual home that nonetheless show up in church, various churches on the weekend because they're searching. Yeah. Yeah, they're they're looking. Yeah. And and so that gets into the heart of that why, of why they're leaving. Some of the biggest reasons that people answer on some of these exit surveys they've done is that their spiritual needs aren't being met. Yeah. That's usually the number one. A number two pretty close on that. And I imagine most people listening can relate. There's disagreements on church teaching. That's sure. that's usually yeah. the second biggest. But it, the spiritual needs are the biggest. Yeah. Which is that's hopeful because we can actually fix both, right? People mm-hmm. who have problems with church teaching, usually the problem, the solution isn't to change the teaching. It's often there's an understanding gap or a relevance gap uh, or a courage gap or some, something like that. So we can address that, but it's it's really easy to address those who aren't feeling like, like their spiritual needs are being met. Let's reconnect them with Jesus and let him do it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's I, I think that's the more underlying reason is that they're they're lacking in their relationship with Christ or their ability to grow in their relationship with Christ with what's mm-hmm. offered to them. Because if they knew Jesus, they're, they're not going to have problems with those two things. They're going to be actively seeking their spiritual needs and they're not going to have a problem with church teaching. Yeah. Well, it, it reminds me, I mean, I think about, to me, I think as, you know, because I've, I've been blessed to, to be able to walk with lots of people who have have the pain of, you know, children, grandchildren, friends, spouses, siblings, classmates who, you know, who've left the practice of the faith. And sometimes, particularly when they end up evangelical, there's this kind of, I want to sympathize with the Catholic frustration on mm-hmm. this, but there's this judgmental tendency to say, well, they just want to drink coffee in church or they just want the, <laughs> they just yeah. want better music. It's like, well, don't you want better music too? It's like, yes, but okay. <laughs> but our perception, right, that people are leaving because they just want better music and they just want to have coffee does not match up with the reality when you no. talk to people like, why did you leave the Catholic church? They don't say because of the music and the coffee. They mm-hmm. say, I found Jesus. They taught me to pray. I've never been able to read the Bible before, but I get it now. They helped me. Like they say stuff that is hard to hear because, oh, we can do that. Mm. We can totally do that. Like we have Jesus. And, and it's, it, it's both painful but actually hopeful too, because for us to bring them back, it doesn't require us to be anything different than who we actually are. I, I agree wholeheartedly. Yeah. My, I don't, for my mom's faith, uh, some, some of her conversion story when she really got into her faith was being part of a multi-denominational Bible study. And they would keep asking her, well, why do you Catholics believe this? And, and that caused her to look, it, it, it's the same challenge to us when people yeah. leave the faith of, well, why do we believe this? We, we need to look deeper mm-hmm. into some of those things. Yeah. So TJ, we're, uh, we've already kind of like wandered into a little bit of myth busting here, mm-hmm. but let's, let's maybe kind of stay on this. Like there's this sense that we sometimes think there are these myths that maybe cloud those of us who have remained Catholic, cloud our ability to see clearly, to help our loved ones find their way back. Let's do a little bit of myth, myth busting here. Mm. What's, what's, what's a myth that people that we need to have dispelled in our own minds before we're able to effectively bring our loved ones back. Yeah, so one of them I think is just the idea that Catholic culture or catechesis that people were given earlier on is what's gonna bring them back mm. to the church. So, so that's a whole overarching myth, but like some of like the details of that, like, yeah. oh, well, 
they're going to want to get married and have kids in the church and that'll get them back. And may, maybe they do, maybe they come get married in the church and maybe they have kids, but that doesn't mean they're going to keep coming to mass. That doesn't mean they're going to get involved in the parish. No, I mean, I don't have the the stats right in front of me, but all the data would say it's unlikely. Yeah. They, they might, you might get them out of guilt and a threat to not pay for the reception. Yep. Yep. <laughs> you might get them to get married in the church, but it doesn't mean they're going to show up on Sunday. You might get them to baptize their child, but it doesn't mean they're ever going to bring them to mass or teach them the faith. And I imagine that reception threat is going on a lot because you know, oh, I, yeah. I see I'm going through marriage prep myself right now at, at one parish and I work at two other parishes. I see a lot of young couples going through marriage prep and not a lot of young couples at those parishes. Yeah. So I think that that's a reality uh, with that. The other uh, the other part of that myth is that, oh, I sent them to Catholic school. Like they're, they're mm-hmm. going to be just fine. The Eucharist maybe is even going to draw them back. Yeah. Some of those myths. And once again, that gets back to the heart of encounter of knowing Jesus. Like if, if they just know the church teaching, like that's not enough to bring them back. Yeah. I, I love I love that you said that because it almost sounds heretical. They were like, yeah. that, that like, right, that the Eucharist won't bring them back. But I think when we really dig into it, there's most, again, most of our listeners are probably familiar with the very sad statistics that most people who would claim the label Catholic don't believe that Christ is really present in the Eucharist. I think, well, I mean, I think it's like, isn't it like 70% or something? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's like, yeah, it's, it's like it's pretty embarrassingly high. high. I don't have the, the numbers in front of me. But the problem is just telling people, hey, Jesus is present in the Eucharist doesn't fix much if they don't know who Jesus is. Right. And, and what I mean by that is I don't mean know who Jesus is like like they don't know like Jesus, like they don't know who Abraham Lincoln is. Mm-hmm. You know, it's one thing to know facts about Abraham Lincoln and maybe to appreciate and admire him. But like I would never say I have a personal relationship with Abraham Lincoln. No. I wouldn't say <laughs> that he's my savior. I wouldn't say that I talk to him every day. But I do say that about Jesus. Right. And people who don't know Jesus in that relational friendship, like having had an encounter, the Eucharist is our way to connect with that person. And if you don't know Mm -hmm. who that person is, knowing that he's present in the Eucharist, one, is probably not believable, but two, just doesn't make that much of a difference. Even the people who knew Jesus face to face in John 6, they had trouble with that teaching. So if they don't know Jesus at all, like how much harder is that teaching? Yeah, it's, it's shocking. So talk about, I mean, this is like such a universal phenomenon. You all at Midtown Catholic, we're like, okay, this is us. This is our story. These are the people in our pew. Tell us a little bit of the story. What did the Lord do to bring you to a place where you were able to begin to, to kind of step in and equip your people to respond to this phenomenon and love? Because I love mm-hmm. what you did, and I want you to start to tell the story. Yeah, so... It wasn't on my radar at all. Uh, a couple from the parish came to me with this mm. problem. There, there's a whole article in the Catholic Voice you can read about some of their story. Uh, but mm-hmm. they have a lot of children who are not practicing the faith and were kind of led to this book called Return. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll mention a little bit more later. But mm-hmm. they had read through it and they saw it was it was pretty great and they're trying to share it with people. But like, there's got to be something more hands-on out there. Yeah. And, yeah, because it's a good book. I've got it in front of me, right? Mm-hmm. Brandon Vote. It's called Return, how to, how to Draw Your Child Back to the Church. Good stuff, but reading a book, no matter how good, isn't quite like being equipped to actually bring your child back. 
Yeah. And yeah, I think a lot of people feel alone in it too. And that's something where right away I was like, okay, like it, it hit me too. Cause mm-hmm. most of my friends I grew up with are, are not practicing Catholics here in Omaha. So I was like, okay, I got to at least look into something for them. There's got to be something out there. Mm-hmm. And I was looking through different programs that kind of sounded similar. Most of them were about praying and acceptance. And even before I found- Wow. Wait, wait, wait. So, <laughs> yeah. so you're reading books about how to help your child- come back or oh, the phenomenon of like, you know, your child stops to practice the faith. And you're saying the vast majority we're focusing on accept it, not how you might actually bring them back. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not many were very practical. E. Which I mean, acceptance is probably an essential first step. Right. It is. But it's depressing that that would not be like only a part or the first step followed mm-hmm. by practical advice. Exactly. And so as I'm looking through them though, before I even noticed that this program, this return program that I eventually found had it, I saw a face of someone I recognized. It was Ryan O'Hara, who's a big mm-hmm. name for St. Paul's Outreach. And I had heard him talk in college. Mm. I was like, okay, well, this guy is, he's a dynamic speaker. He engages with college students. Like this program must have something else going on with it. And so Father Jeff, my pastor and I are looking through the program and started realizing like this equips people to share the gospel. Yes. And that's- I love it. And yet we were looking at it like, we, we like have to do this. We, we have people in our parish hurting and it's it's my job to evangelize anyway and to get the parish active in evangelization. This, first of all, gives them the tool and gives them a very clear area where they are in need of doing this. Well, and like the nerd in me, like my eyes are lighting up as you say this because there are very few faithful Catholics who don't know they're supposed to be sharing their faith. Right. I mean, it's like, you know, you pull any faithful Catholic who's still engaged and like, yeah, Pope Francis wants us to love poor people and share the gospel. Yeah. I don't know what that looks like, but I know I'm supposed to do it. And so getting people, you know, because there's some analogy between the roles that we we serve, mine with the archdiocese and, and yours at, at the parish, trying to equip people for mission. A lot of times it's hard because getting people's time and attention, like getting them to actually come to be equipped for mission is challenging. But here you've got something where there's a deep tug on their heart. Mm. I love my son. I love my daughter, my sibling. Like there's someone I love and that love compels me to come and gather and learn how I might be able to be an instrument for their return. Exactly. And yeah, so we were very excited about that dynamic that, that could come out of this program. That's awesome. And so, you know, my next steps were, were, were calling the program director and kind of asking her about that. Because that was one thing I saw, too, is we were looking at the timeline of when we were hoping to do this. And we knew Live Lent Together was going to be going mm-hmm. on. And we saw the importance of that, of the, the small groups and building these small communities. And I was like, okay, well, this could work perfectly. And I kind of asked her, like, what, what have you seen other groups do before who've run this program and have had small groups after? And she did mention one that, like, really tried to push, you know, small groups and meeting again and again as that big return group hmm. and talking about progress and talking about their own journeys of faith. And so yeah, at that point I was, I was, I was sold. I was like, okay, that information's out there that I can get from people and we can put this together. Unfortunately, she couldn't come to train us until mm-hmm. uh, a little bit into live Lent together mm-hmm. is when we would have to start the program. So hopefully we get a better, better kickoff with that one next year, mm-hmm. but it was still a good pitch for it. I think at the end, and we had a couple small groups stay together from return. That's awesome. So what did you all learn? Like what, what what did yeah what 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 did people experience and learn as they went through this 
Yeah, uh, we we learned a lot. Uh, we first of all learned that it that it's it's not impossible <laughs> to bring someone back. It's not impossible yeah. to have a conversation with someone who has some animosity towards the church. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really hard for for parents because uh, they, they feel like this is an area of where where harm has been done, and it, mm-hmm. it's uncomfortable to unpack that when you already have a working relationship with your child. <sighs> yeah, well, and the, especially the parent child dynamic. You know, chances are you've tried and, it, you know, it's probably gone about as well as trying to get your teenager to do their homework or clean their room. Mm-hmm. And you're like, OK, I don't want to go there anymore. Like, do, can we just somehow bracket this off so we can have a, a relationship and 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 not shout at each other when we gather for Christmas? Yeah. But you're saying it's possible to preserve a good relationship and to enter into these conversations. Exactly. And that's what I think what we learned is the most important part first is if you're going to draw someone back to the faith, there, there's got to be some healing that goes on. And it might not be very obvious what that is at first, but just establishing a clear line of trust and communication with someone is so mm. important first. How do they recommend doing that? Because I'm sure there's a lot of people listening who are like, I know they don't trust me anymore. And there's this gulf and we can't have a conversation anymore because the ones we had didn't go well. Right. So you you love this person anyways, and you have these deep questions on your heart mm-hmm. with the faith that you have for them. Well, God has a relationship with them too. And there are deep questions on their heart that they want to express and talk mm-hmm. about even if, and they might not have an outlet to do that without church. And that's one of the first ways that uh. you can do that is you establish conversations where you're asking them big open-ended questions and just letting them express themselves and listening, just listening is so important. Wow. So you're saying basically you can start just by learning how to listen and to ask questions that are about something substantive and important, not on, did you go to mass last Sunday and why not? Exactly. Exactly. Do you have, I don't want to put you on the spot, but do you have like some of those questions for people, like like a couple that you remember to like get people started? Yeah. So some of them are just kind of broad, like what what are some of the things you find most important in life? And then just asking them why, why is that so important to you? And just letting them express themselves with mm. that. Uh, some of the other questions uh, can be a little bit more directly theological or like, what what do you believe about God? What, what do you believe about Jesus Christ? And not trying to insert te- church teaching in the middle of what they're saying. <laughs> right. <laughs> not interrupting, not like, well, actually Aquinas says into like, yeah, that's awesome. Say that again. What's the, what are those two questions? So yeah, what 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 are the things that are most important to you in life, and mm-hmm. why, why why do you think that? And who who is God, or what what do you believe about God? Mm-hmm. And just listen. Yeah, and just listening is Genius. is so important. Genius. As, and that's some of the neatest things we learned in this program were the communication skills. And there was a moment where I was leading people through an exercise because you you practice those like. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have one person respond to those questions, how they think their loved one would respond to them. And you you walk through those. And so I was doing this. And I was like, wow, this really feels like the mentorship program I did down in Kansas City. And mm-hmm. one of the women who was helping me on my core team that helped me run this, who's going through our mentorship program here in Omaha said, this feels really similar to what we're doing in our mentorship program. Yeah. I mean, it really is. It sounds like this this program return is really equipping people for just hands-on evangelization. Yeah, yeah. Which for your loved ones and your coworker and your neighbor and your- Yeah, and while we were going through those exercises, I could see just this switch flipping in some of my parishioners. And they were realizing, first of all, like, whoa, I can do this. And all of a sudden there's a second bigger realization, like 
I can do this, like this evangelization thing. Like Mm -hmm. I can talk to anyone about this, not just my loved one who I've been focused on, but the guy at the office who is a fallen away Catholic, I can have a conversation with him. And it could be a really meaningful conversation, even if I don't get done in it what I wanted to get done. You know, that reminds me, as you talk about that, that reminds me of the, um, you know, the famous bring my child back to the practice of the faith story, you know, St. Monica Mm -hmm. and St. Augustine. Um, And what a lot of people don't know, a lot of people know kind of like the really broad outlines, like, yeah, Augustine was a wild child. Monica was a saint. She prayed and he eventually came back. True, but the really important, I think for me, fascinating detail is every time St. Monica tried personally to intervene, it didn't work. Mm -hmm. And part of, at least in my mind, the story is like Monica's prayers made Ambrose a saint. And it was Ambrose's friendship and preaching and teaching that helped, and the whole community that Augustine unwittingly became a part of when he went to Rome, that's what what brought him back to the practice of the faith. And so I just, as you share that story of like someone realizing, wait, I can do this with my loved one mm-hmm. and maybe someone else's loved one, right? My coworker in the cubicle next door to me, that's someone else's son or daughter. And there's someone who's aching for them to return to the church. Right. And uh, that's something I, one thing I kept repeating over and over in this course is you might have to be the St. Monica for your child, but you might be the St. Ambrose for someone else's. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, as the program director said, you know, a deathbed conversion is a victory. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so it's, it's, you got to learn to work slow. <laughs> That's so awesome. something else we learned, and is it, it can be a sl- sometimes there's some quicker success stories, but most of the time it's a slow process. I feel like that should be tweeted. <laughs> a deathbed conversion is still a victory. Yeah, That's like wow. So TJ, we we touched on this a little bit earlier, but I want to mm. come back to well, two things. First off, h- hard questions. Like, yeah. how do you deal with the hard questions? Because it's one thing to become a good listener and ask good questions. Mm-hmm. It's another thing when you get kind of a what feels like a technical question about church teaching or a difficult moral issue. How do you deal with those? Yeah, so I think this goes to kind of the heart of evangelization and what in what we're sharing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's you don't have to be afraid to not know all the answers. You don't have to be afraid to be a little broken to not understand yourself. Yeah. One of the examples they gave us in the program was one of the speakers. He'd had an experience of someone calling him on the phone and asking him, what's what's the church teaching on, on same-sex marriage? I don't understand it. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, I, I don't know it word for word. Do you have a do you have a catechism by chance? And they, they did. Most chances you're not going to have this opportunity. Yeah, well, that's pretty fun. But they read it together over the phone and the person started weeping because it was so much more beautiful than they thought it was going to be. And this is something I learned. I worked in sales for a brief period of time is it's okay to go in and not know the answers when your client asks, Hey, what, what do you guys do with X, Y, and Z and say, I don't, I don't know that answer right now, but can I get back to you about it? And there's, there's something about the humility there that I, I think is very attractive in that sometimes we give like a really authoritative answer that we don't quite know very well. It can come across not very good. And we yeah. miss an opportunity to display humility, which is mm-hmm. the prince of virtues. Well, and and which heals. I mean, particularly when we talk about like the the layer of the relational dynamics between parents and children and siblings, mm-hmm. seeing humility in your sibling or in your parent, you're like, I don't know. I, I believe, but I don't know. I'll get back to you. For, for most adult children or what or you know teen children, like holy crap, I've never heard dad mm-hmm. say I don't know, and it gets people's attention and wins their their trust in a way far beyond perfectly 
spouting out the answer. And that's one of the things that I thought was so beautiful about this program and it, it teaching stuff like that was just the idea of what what actually either keeps you Catholic or brought you deeper into your Catholic faith. Mm-hmm. The program director, Molly Shore, when she came out and trained my small group team that was going to lead this, she asked us to write down on a piece of paper, why are you Catholic today? Mm-hmm. Like what, what keeps you Catholic? And you know, we all wrote that down and she... She said, okay, you've all written it down. I want you to raise your hand. Did you? How many of you wrote something about the church's teaching on same-sex marriage <laughs> or the church's uh, teaching on abortion? That's what your loved one's hearing all the time when they think of the Catholic church. That's why mm-hmm. your conversations are always about those things. Mm-hmm. We, we opened up our podcast. I think you open most of your podcasts when you're reviewing someone about their testimony. Mm-hmm. Sometimes our testimonies can kind of feel cheesy or gimmicky, but they are so important to our relationship with Christ, and that's what you need to share. Mm-hmm. Wow, TJ, that's really powerful. Mm. Like just what keeps you Catholic? And yet that's the one thing that we almost never talk about yeah. when we're trying to re-engage. TJ, we talked about this a little bit earlier. We referenced it that like our own disappointment, frustrations, guilt, our ability to put it in one word, to accept the pain of having a loved one no longer practicing the faith. Mm. That's a hard thing. And yeah. I, I remember hearing that, that this program spends some effort to help people get to a, a healthy place of acceptance so that they can then go out and begin to, to make invitations. Talk about that acceptance, and particularly just conscious of people who are listening now, that's right where they're at. The pain is, is very fresh because there's, you know, there's, there's a loved one right now that they're thinking about. Right. Yeah. It's, first of all, you need to hear that it's not your fault. Mm. Maybe partially you, you, you've played a role in it, but it is, it is not your fault. The journey of faith, uh, the journey to heaven is, is, is not easy for anyone. And your child, your loved one, they're, they're not fully your responsibility. You have some responsibility to them if you're their parent, but I, I can't convert anyone personally. Pope Francis can't convert anyone personally. St. Paul didn't personally on his own mm-hmm. convert anyone. The Holy Spirit used them and the Holy Spirit can, yeah. can use you. Uh, but you first need to accept that that you're not it's not fully your fault. And because especially if you're going in with that mentality, mm-hmm. you're going to answer those questions a lot differently. You're going to speak because there, yeah. there's there's a shame there that you're answering questions with or that you're pursuing them with. Right. Because you're feeling that it's your responsibility for them as an individual. Right. Well, and I mean, <clears throat> at least for me, when I'm feeling shame, mm-hmm. I mean, it's there, but it's the anger that people actually see. Yeah. The shame's at the root of it. I'm feeling inadequate, but then I just come off, you know, of course, right, it's a, it's a kind of a guy thing. And it's like, mm-hmm. oh, and angry is not really attractive. No, That's not no, gonna help, not. is it? And I, I think something else that you need to accept is that you're not alone in this. You know, we mm-hmm. talked about those statistics. You, you have a loved one who's outside the faith. I have a loved one who's outside the faith. Everyone does. There's, mm-hmm. there's saints throughout history who had loved ones who are outside the faith. Yeah, in fact, it's kind of what makes saints. Yeah. I mean, it's not Jesus makes saints, yeah. But the pain of a love of, of someone that isn't quite receiving all that you've found in the Lord, mm. somehow the Lord seems to mysteriously u- use that to draw us closer and to fill us more and more with His love. I know. I think it's a, it's actually a common pattern in saint stories. Yes, yes, and that's something I think that's beautiful about those those Saint Monica groups that are out yeah. there. Uh, but I would encourage, especially if you're in one of those groups, uh, I would encourage you to know that once once you're at that place, you you should know that there are things that you can do 
Mm-hmm. And even if not for your own child, maybe for someone else's. Yes. Yes. We all have that call to evangelize. Yeah. TJ, I'm, re- I'm reminded once just, I was very comforted by the reminder of the Lord just mercifully clear with me in uh, a time of prayer mm. that as I was, you know, worried about uh, some people that I loved, he's like, I love them more than you do. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was very, very clear, very, you know, it's just like, I love them more than you do. Mm-hmm. And when I kind of let go of that false responsibility, like it was my responsibility to save them. And that, and I remembered that someone way more powerful and influential and patient and wise and than me loved them and was on the project, was on mm. the task. It just, it freed me in a way that actually I made, I was way more helpful. <laughs> yeah. It feels selfish at first. It yes, really does. It does. Say more about that. Yeah. like I mean, when you first are, are challenged with this idea of, of, of loving that person where they're at and looking at it from, from your own perspective of salvation first, you, you need to get in this mentality of, well, why did God put this person in my life? And that can feel really selfish. Yeah. But if, if we're judging them based on our, our own standards, our own walk towards God, first of all, that's going to get us off track. Yeah. And it's just not helpful for them. Yeah. But it's there, there's something so much more beautiful and freeing when you, first of all, accept that you can't even save yourself. That, that you need Jesus to do that. Yes. And then when you start seeing this person who's in your life, who's asking these tough questions about the faith and the challenge that that gives you to grow deeper in your relationship with Christ, you start to see this person as a beautiful gift. And when you can start seeing someone as a gift, you can start giving to them too. Yeah. I'm generally nicer to people that I see as gifts. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Uh, TJ, we just got really deep there, but that was that was beautiful. I mean, our time has totally flown here, but as we close, like, what would you say to someone listening who wants to reach out to a loved one uh, who was once Catholic? Like, where should they begin? Mm. Uh, first, yeah, pick pick just one loved one. Don't don't freak out about everyone at once. Uh, but prayer and fasting mm. is really where you got to start mm. uh, because the Holy Spirit's going to do that work, and uh, prayer and fasting is the first steps uh, mm. to to ask for God's help. Uh, the next thing to do is just to establish that trust, establish that level of conversation to have deep conversations with this person mm-hmm. without imposing any ideas on them. Yeah. Thank you. That's beautiful. And it feels like that's actually where we, it's kind of where we ended, right? Getting to the, a place of acceptance, of recognizing mm-hmm. that the Lord loves you, that we can't even save ourselves, no less save our loved ones. Like, man, that's stuff that only happens in prayer and in real deep relational silent prayer. TJ, thank you. Thank you for what you do. We should clearly maybe kind of like highlight some of these things. We mentioned the book earlier, mm-hmm. uh, but the book by Brandon Vogt, is it, are we saying this Vought, right? I Vought, think. Okay, Brandon Vogt, V-O-G-T, works with uh, Bishop Robert Barron, if you've heard of him, mm-hmm. but his book is called Return, How to Draw Your Child Back to the Church. Excellent book. I've been thumbing through it the last couple of days, really good. Uh, and then the Return Program itself, returnfaith.org is the name of the website, returnfaith.org. Molly Shore is the founder and owner. Great lady, really Mm. effective for for training you all. TJ, any other shout outs or resources you want to suggest to people? Right. There's a lot of good Catholic speakers out there just to listen to. One that I'd like to highlight is Bishop Robert Barron. Yeah. I I, I really see in him kind of a Jesuit charism. Like he... Mm. 
he looks at this at the society and praises what's good in it and opens up a conversation. And if mm-hmm. you see him from that angle doing that, you'll see what an incre- incredible guy he is and you can learn a lot from him. Yeah. You're saying like not everybody can be as smart as Bishop Barron, but we can imitate his ability to see the good, praise it, and use it as a starting place for conversation. Exactly. Oh, I love it. TJ, thank you. Thanks for being here. Thanks for what you do. Good luck on the uh, final few months of uh, marriage marriage prep here. Blessings to, blessings to you and Angie, and thanks for being with us. Thank you so much for having me, Jim. It's been an honor. All right, everybody. Uh, you know someone who needs to hear this episode. You know how to do it, so wait till like you get to your destination or wait till like, you've got the dog like tied up or safely back home, but then uh, share this out with a, with a friend who needs to hear it. Mm-hmm.